Hi friends, welcome to Time Out with Broderick. This is a podcast dedicated to bridging the gap between BIPOC culture, creative art forms, and educational theater. My name is Broderick, and I'm happy that you're joining today's conversation. Today's guest, I don't think she really needs any introduction as she's making a name all for herself. Chandrika Fee, who is a personal friend of mine, but also the author of Lord, I Don't Want to Die a Christian. Chan, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and how we can follow your journey. So first, hi. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. Glad to be a part. I'm glad to be having this conversation. I am passionate about this conversation. My name is Chandrika Fee. Um, I am from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I'm born and raised there, um, but moved to the South um, where I've lived uh, for a lot of my adult life, apart from living in China two years. Um, I am a wellness coordinator for the YMCA. I love outdoors. Um, I am a very, very much an introvert, especially in the wintertime. Um, I love to, or I'm really drawn to um, hibernating. Uh, so the outdoors um, is is usually on, on punishment until uh, the time changes. But I'm a cyclist. I'm a triathlete. I love to hike, swim. Um, I love running. Um, uh, love lots of, of outdoor experiences. As much as I am an introvert, I love to connect with people. Um, but more so on a deeper, deeper level. And I wrote a book um, because my life changed after my two years in China. I wrote a book called Lord, I Don't Want to Die a Christian. And that is the reason um, Broderick has invited me to a conversation and I'm grateful to him for it. Tandrika, let me just say that uh, before we get started, like we are part of an art collective which is how we met. Um, I'm extremely grateful and thankful for that, uh, for Radical Roots, because I just said to you a minute ago, but I seriously feel like I learned a little nugget of truth every time we talk or I walk away going, I have to like, let me process this question. (laughs) Um, Because I feel like you always, you always like will propose a question that makes us go, okay, like, I, I'm gonna hold off on what I said earlier <laughs> and reflect. Revisit. Before. Yeah, let me revisit this. Uh, excuse me, Pastor. I'm gonna need to revisit the question. <laughs> uh, I gotta go study my sermon notes again before I come oh. back to this. <laughs> but I'm, I'm so thankful, so thankful for that, and I'm also thankful for you as a person because I feel like um, it has really been a blessing. Through like we met during a pandemic virtually. We've never met each other in person, but right. I still feel so connected to you. Wow. Um, and so when you talked about, right, that you were writing it, working on a book and that it was about to come out, I was like, yeah, like, yes, I want a copy. I want to read it. And then the more we got into it, we developed this conversation of saying, let's actually have a conversation and record it and talk about it. And we're going to get into it, but I would just like to say that, wow, um, <laughs> there is so much intertwining between our stories. Um, I think people will read your, will look at your book title and think, "Mm, I can't relate to that. And I would say, I feel like there is not a person alive that cannot pick this book up and in some way, shape, form relate to it or go, or at least have questions about it. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, And with that, I would like to ask you first, what is your book? And what do you hope, uh, or who do you hope reads it? So what is your book and who do you hope reads it? So by what is your book, do you mean again, what the title is or what is it about? Tell us what your book is about. What is your book about? So um, my book is just about my journey to uh, realizing, or, or, or really it's realizing there is a, free, a freedom I hadn't tapped into yet, a spiritual freedom that um, obviously uh, manifest, if you will, into into my daily uh, life, my daily tangible, practical life. And so 
um, according to how uh, I think, according to how free I am spiritually, so goes my life naturally. And um, I hadn't tapped into that. Some reason, for some reason, I I felt like or knew that there was a a, a different experience awaiting me, but I wasn't um, able to experience or tap into that experience of freedom. So um, I started to kind of journey in that direction after um, living in China for two years, coming back to the States, experiencing culture shock uh, via the church, reverse culture shock, via um, church and Western religious practices. So I just uh, began to revisit a lot that I was taught um, by Christianity, and um, I began to ask questions of it and then document it. Um, And so that's what the book is about. It's about uh, documenting my journey to a greater experience of life, people, and spirituality. Uh, Who I want to read it? Um, Everybody. Uh, But mostly um, younger people, college students, uh, young adults um, who who have been taught some kind of um, religious um, forms of expression and um, but they have questions about it and they secretly have questions about it. Um, I want to uh, provide a place, a, a place, a comfortable place for them to to know that it's okay to have those questions. Um, it's okay to to be curious about how all of this works. Um, it's okay to be curious about uh, um, why all of this is, all of this thing called life, the world, the earth, people, animals. It's okay to be curious about it, um, regardless uh, to what your religious um, backgrounds have, have taught you. Um, it's okay to have your own questions and it's okay to ask them out loud. So that's who I, I, my main focus, anybody can read it. I would love everybody to read it. Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, uh, uh, the scientist people. I mean, you know, um, from the most popular religions to the, to the least or the least unknown. Anybody who can read, I would love them all to read it. But Mainly, I write, I have an entry in the book called For an Unborn Generation. So it's for um, kids' kids. Uh, yeah. Because by the time they get here, the, they, they are not going to be who we were um, in that when we were being taught uh, religion and our particular expression of it, we were not uh, question heavy. Um, curiosity was not modeled for us. So we didn't have questions. We just said, yes, no, sir. (laughs) Yeah. As I've been reading through the book, to be completely honest, I I really do wish that me in college had a copy of this then, because I think it would have it would have helped to guide some of the decisions I made specifically after college as Mm -hmm. I was like trying to navigate things and and also figuring out who I was, how do I identify and who am I as an individual um, that's connected to this faith, that's connected to this, uh, this religious system or organization. And a lot of my journey has been like understanding and knowing that like, no matter who I am, like I still, yes, I do believe in God, this being or whatever you want to call it, whatever your expression of that is. Yes, I do believe, I still have faith. Um, I do believe what I read in scripture. Like I do, like that's a part of who I am and part of my identity, but I wish that there had been more opportunities um, of finding myself within that. And I think your, your book really does address a lot of questions that I had as a, still as a young person, I still consider myself young, still Mm -hmm. as a young person, I, there are still questions I still have that I, what I appreciate it and just even diving and starting to dive into it, I felt like you give people permission to ask those questions Mm -hmm. and to also know that like 
there may not be an answer and that's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and that is completely okay. And so I, I do want to read um, in the very beginning when you first start addressing, like you're just, you're essentially talking about your book in the beginning, talk about who you are, how you kind of came to writing the book. Um, I highlighted this because it, it stuck out to me. You said, um, I learned that having a relationship with God doesn't mean to stop thinking for myself. God doesn't expect me to lose my imagination or trade my uh, intellect uh, in for faith. Then later on, you say, this new direction awakened me in one major reality. Christianity was keeping me from doing what God really wanted, me, uh, wanted of me, to love others. Christianity was a hindrance to me doing exactly what God taught, what Jesus taught. I found myself torn between choosing the greatness of all the laws and remaining a Christian. And I feel like some people may hear that and go, oh, like you're, you're, you're running away from faith or you're running away from your belief systems or your quote unquote religious and all this stuff. But I honestly, Shane, I read it and I thought it's exactly me as a senior in high school. This is exactly me yeah. as someone who was turning a leaf in college going, wow, like I have questions. And like you said, I was terrified and afraid to ask those questions mm -hmm. or there were moments where because I what I still am a very curious human and there were moments I remember specifically sitting in like a Wednesday night service or a Sunday night service and asking those questions and blatantly being told by um, people who were leading and guiding me that I should not be asking those questions wow and I was like what like why would I not like wouldn't me questioning make me like make my faith stronger if I feel like I found the direction or the path in which I'm supposed to take because of that questioning? And I, I long story short, I just felt silenced. And I think a lot of what you've written um, speaks to people that have felt that way, that I felt like because of my faith that I feel like I can't run from, like I cannot run from like feeling like I'm, I'm desiring to have conversations with God. I can't run from that. But I feel like a door has been shut in my face, mm -hmm. in my faith or, or the religion that I practice. And so um, I think your book really does speak to people that are in that sense. So thank you for writing this. Um, I would also like to ask you, though, when did you ultimately decide that you had to write this book and why? Well, I don't know if it was a decision I made. I uh, was home from China permanently um, and struggling with um, adjusting again to um, Western religious practices. I was, uh, you know, before I left to go to China, I was all church. Um, I was the pastor of out, minister of outreach. Um, I was on the praise and worship team. Before I moved to the South, I was the pastor of music and arts. Um, probably of one of the, at that time, biggest Pente Pentecostal churches in Oklahoma City. Before then, I was a worship leader. Uh, before then, I was everything. I was the church drummer, and I was the usher, and I was the choir director. Like, I've done it all. It was all I really knew. I moved to the South to serve in ministry. I left my life in Oklahoma City to serve ministry. It's all I did. It was my life. To to leave all of that and go live internationally, then come back um, after a two-year international experience, particularly in a country who does not embrace Christianity, and go back to uh, those practices, the things that I was doing before, it was really tough. It was actually suffocating. And, um, and so I was, I was between, I was having that experience, and then uh, Barack Obama had been nominated for president and uh, he and so evangelical our white evangelical um, uh, Christian influences were um, upset and expressing um, their uh, disdain for having a black president. So I um, particular one particular day I was watching um, CNN and a, uh, a pastor invited his grandson to the pulpit, um, to the stage, sing a racist song about having a black president. And, uh, that was all I could, could take. 
I turned the TV off. I stood to uh, start cleaning my apartment and I had taken some shoes off at the door. So I had gone to the, to the door to pick the shoes up. And when I stood, um, stood back up, I exhaled, Lord, I don't want to die a Christian. Um, and so I, I took one step forward and then said out loud, that's a book. I took another step forward and said out loud, <laughs> I wasn't planning on writing a book. Um, so I uh, began to pray about what this book would be, believing um, that title, that Excel, if you will, was, was um, inspired of God. And um, when I asked the Lord, how, what am I to write? Um, I believe I heard God say to me, you've already started writing it. And it was my journals or emails from China that I was sending back home to my friends and family. And so I started to revisit those, um, those emails, those journal entries, if you will, and noticed where I had evolved since writing them. And so there, therein lies, you know, if when you read the book, therein lies um, the journal, the original journal entry, and then a PS. And the PS is me saying, I wish I had done something different. I wish I knew then what I know now. Um, I don't believe this anymore. I think this is funny now how serious I took that, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then I go on um, to then write for present day. And the present day entries probably don't have a PS in most cases. Some of them do. Um, but uh, and today I still I still write because I still have have questions. Yeah. And I love I actually love the structure of the book because you also leave room like there's pages like a page after each sex, uh, section or insert where you can go in and journal yourself or write questions yourself. Um, I started writing some in there and then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to need my own journal. <laughs> I, um, I, I mean I journal myself as well I I actually do the same I like to go back and read stuff that I'm like I wrote this 10 years ago what am mm -hmm. I actually thinking about mm -hmm. this now mm -hmm. um and so I I really appreciate that style and the way that you write and you spoke about a little bit about like being in China and then coming back um and I wanted to ask too because that was you talked about you talked several times um there's one in particular, I can't remember the exact section, but you talk in detail about the culture shock that you experienced coming back mm -hmm. home. And it was very fascinating to me because you talked a little bit about, when you talk in that section, you talk a little bit about what it's like. You were like, oh my gosh, I've been in China. I haven't experienced tithing. I haven't experienced doing right. communion. And right, I, right. I haven't, I haven't actively been doing these things. And it made me think, though, like, I, I remember when I moved from, um, I've experienced that shock a little bit myself. I don't think I mm -hmm. would ha will have ever experienced it on the level that you have, because I was like, mm -hmm. that is a big, that's a big change. I experienced mm -hmm. it a little bit when I went to South Africa for a couple weeks, because I thought, I, in my mind, I had packed all these, like, Bible study lessons, and I'm, I'm going over here, and I'm going to teach these people something. Uh <laughs> As you yes. mentioned in your book, just religious. Yes, <laughs> and I love that because I was like, "Yeah, I, that was me. That was so me." Yes. I just thought I'm going to teach these people something, and I tell people all the time now that I honestly 100% believe that God let me go halfway around the world to know that people that are broken and that need Him more were people like myself in the states back home, and not the people that I encountered in South Africa. Like, do they, do I believe that everyone needs God? Absolutely. But their expression and experience of God was completely different yes, than what definitely. I had experienced uh, back home. And I was like, oh, wow, that was a bit of shock to me. Like that was mm -hmm. a little culture shock. Um, and I, I really would love for you just to talk a little bit about, about that. And like maybe other sections in the book that were moments that you just were like, as you were reading back on those, as you were reflecting back and writing that PS what that what those experiences were like for you as you were reading like did it, did it was it just a wow moment as you were reading the things that you had written or were you going well I really have grown from this or I don't believe this <laughs> at all like 
what was that experience like as you were revisiting those letters and um, and those email exchanges? Some of them, some of them were sad, you know, that that I'd forgotten my own um, that I'd forgotten my own experiences uh, when when the young lady approached me about her her boyfriend, um, Mm. you know, cheating on her um, Mm. that I didn't remember first that I had I was I basically took this leap to China because of heartbreak. Wow. To to be able to 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 forget about that was heartbreaking. You know that how much more could I have empowered her if she if I had told her my own story of heartbreak? Yeah. How much more uh, how much more would she have felt loved um, if she had known that another woman um, and that another woman from another country, uh, from another culture, had experienced the same thing that as different as I was, we were the same. Yeah. Instead, I told her to go read a scripture. Just um, and so now don't get me wrong. I do write that my heart was pure, you know, Um, so I'm not I don't feel condemnation or or anything like that. I don't believe God is angry with me or mad at me. But if I could do that over, I would do that over. If I could empower my student, my Bible student to uh, to to, you know, usher him into. perhaps imagining his uh, nephew's personality Mm. um, as he would grow and giving him an English name from that place of imagination, how much more would he have been empowered? And to be able to perhaps tell the story to his nephew later uh, of of how his English name came about versus me saying, you know, let me pray about it <laughs> and I'll get back to you. And here yeah. I come in the door. Christian, I have the answer. Yeah. So I, those those to read those um those entries and 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 those those uh journal entries and and know now and believe now that you know. Jesus might have wanted me to empower these kids more than um, try to change them. Yeah. Wow. That's what I went to China to do. I went to China to change China, you know, back to your point about going to South Africa and, you know, in turn, China changed me. And so to go and say, um, to go rather to ask and learn personalities and um, ask them questions about themselves and who they believe themselves to be and help them figure that out and empower them to be the, the best of who they believe they were would have yeah. been to me a greater experience um, than to go, uh, go there seeking to, to convert. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, some of them are are a bit a bit sad in a sense. Yeah, because you do write about um, you at one point in time, you say. Um, you talk about I'm not in the game of, of winning souls and you, you reflect on that a little bit. And it it honestly made sense um, to me because I think so much of my existence and my I should say my church existence uh, as a young person was being around evangelists and being mm-hmm. in that atmosphere of like you are winning souls you are converting people you are you want people to join the faith and as the adult that I am a lot of that reflection for me is would I love for those people to step into faith and to have a relationship with God and to know what true intimacy with God is like absolutely yes but I also go, I want those people to find that 
for themselves and to seek that truth for themselves and not to feel guilted into it, not to feel like I'm doing this because someone has told me that this is the right thing to do or that I have inherently, I've been rewarded this because of who my family is. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think uh, for those of us that grew up in the Bible Belt and that grew up in those grew up in very religious families, that's a part of that is what you inherit. You inherit mm-hmm. those. We're getting this, and you're doing this, and this is who we are. This is how we identify. This is how we move. I I listen. I if and if you one of my one of the hardest uh, one of them. I mean, some of them were difficult to write. Right? <laughs> it, not not in in a horrible way, but just like man, this is like you know. I write uh, an entry. I think it's the last one. It's the last one. One of close to the last called a God like this. And, you know, I have to, in order to win a soul, quote unquote, as we've been taught, because I still don't know what it means <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, cause I think I talk about in the book, I also talk about, you know, um, how, how can one, a soul be broken? Um, it's intangible. Um, it, it it's not touchable. It's not, how can it be broken? It's, I mean, that's the best way I can say you can't yeah. grab it. You can't grab it and break it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I have a, a friend of mine who um, said that she had a hole in her heart or in her soul because of um, some abuse. And I told her, I asked her to put her finger on the hole and she couldn't. So, so since that day, since that day, she's like, I, I'm free because, you know, uh, where, what am I winning? A soul is not tangible. So what am I winning? Uh, and so, you know, in order for me to, to win a soul, according to Christianity, I have to believe you were sent here broken, but not just you, it, you were, you came through someone. And so I have to now believe that a mother's child is broken. Someone else's mother, someone else's child is broken. I've got to believe that about that, that, that she brought into the world a broken person. Hmm. So imagine, you know, being, imagine being told your child is broken and I got to win. That's what, that's what I was told to do as a Christian is to, it doesn't, it's not just soul winning. I have to identify you as broken first to pursue, to pursue that. And that's what my, the, a God like this is about. It's well, that that's where soul winning starts. It starts with me telling your child. When we put it in that sense, when if I if I invite you to the school as a parent, you know, and, and I'm the principal, and it's my job to win your child's soul. I'm gonna invite your invite you as the parent to a conference to tell you your child is broken. It, you not mine. You taking me out of the school? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, but that's what, so that's where soul winning starts. It starts with me believing you were sent here broken. Yeah. 46,370-some-odd people um, through a church last year accepted salvation. And, but that starts with believing you're broken. Yeah. And so, um, y- you know, I'm out of, I'm, I don't, I don't want to participate. Yeah. I, well, I don't it, participate. it bleeds into that. The convers- the very first conversation that we had when we say we stayed up pretty late talking about the book, um, when I first got the copy and was like reading through some of the sections, we talked about it, leaning into that notion of always being told mm-hmm. that you are, um, that we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Or that we, and, and a lot of times being told that we will never be good enough. Like we, and 
and always thinking to myself, I remember as a young person thinking to myself, like, I can honestly look back and say, that's where a lot of my self-deprivation comes from. A lot of my like doubt and, or just not believing in myself because I'm an artist. So a lot of times I have to go into a room and make people believe that I can deliver what they're asking me to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that starts with a prep, a pep talk of telling myself, like, I already have everything that I need to mm-hmm. play this part or to do this role. And it made me, after we spoke, I was like, why can't I do that with my faith? Mm. Why haven't I been able to say that to myself when it comes to my faith that like, I already have everything that I need. Mm-hmm. Like God has given me everything that I need mm-hmm. to be successful, to be great. And so it's like, if I can do a pep talk for myself around my art and my, like what my skill sets are and believe that, like mentally believe that what has been that disconnect for me in the face of believing that I am good enough or mm-hmm. that God sees me as good. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a lot of that goes back to us believing into that system and saying, believing the notion of I am not good enough. I am broken. I, I have to work to be good enough or I have to do these things to be good enough. Um, and it was something that you said to me that really made me go, wow, because no one had ever in my entire life said that to me. When you mm-hmm. said to me, uh, Roderick, God does not look at you and see a diabetic. Mm. I was like, I'm stunned. <laughs> I'm just, I'm serious. I, I was so stunned, Chan, because so much of who I am and my identity is wrapped up in being diabetic and that mm-hmm. like I know that I check my blood sugars and I do all these other things but you looked at me over FaceTime and said God doesn't look at you and see a diabetic but yeah it, it took me back to that moment to lots of moments of being in audition rooms and knowing that I have prepped myself plenty of times to go in and be like I'm going to deliver a monologue I'm going to go in here and have to sing this song that I may not even know but I'm going to make the people in this room believe that I believe that I know what I'm doing. Right, right, right. And I have not always been able to, I don't think I've ever been able to do that with my faith. Wow. You know, the, a lot of our issue is, uh, you know, seeing ourselves apart from God, you know, it's, you know, but if, if we believe what Moses writes, um, as it relates to being made in the image and likeness of God, um, then we can't, we can't see ourselves apart from, you know, I even talk about, I believe I talk about in the book that, you know, if you're gonna, with this whole idea of writing the book, right? How could I write a book that is not reflective of, of me? How, how can you, how do you do that? So if, if in, if in with the idea of writing the book, the book has to be reflective of me. Having said that, if God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, what is he going to make it from or like, or let us make man period. So there's an idea of of making man, right? Well, when you have an idea, the idea is going to, manifest manifested is going to be a reflection of the person who had the idea yeah and so you can't how do you see yourself apart from the one who had the idea yeah you talk you talk about that and um there's a section earlier that you talk about it with his reflection yeah and then there's a you talk about it again when you talk about um you're basically talking about uh, when you talk about manifestation and the That's questioning right. race and the questioning race and manifestation. You, you, and we talked about that that night. I remember because I just read that section. And I was like, wow, like, I mean, it's just, it's powerful in the sense of the way that you write, you don't say, you never say to people, you're wrong for believing this or you're wrong for having these thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. It's always more of like, okay, you have these thoughts and ideas. Have you ever questioned or asked yourself why or asked yourself, is there a deeper connection to this? Is there a deeper meaning in this? And that's what I love. That, that's the part of it that I go, yes, this, <laughs> this right here. It's page 209. It's Javonda's question. Yes, yes. And I, I, I talk about, she asked me about manifesting. 
And I, yeah. I, I remember, I think what I said was, I think I said it's 209, right? What I said was, I don't know how to tell you to manifest. Yeah. I don't know how to answer that question, but I could tell you when I started to see, uh, and, and, you know, manifestation happens every day. You know, that's waking up, it's breathing, it's blinking, it's walking, yeah. it's, movement, it's all those things. But, but to add to that, the, the, the manifestation that is apart from, uh, quote unquote, the ordinary, none yeah. of it's ordinary, but um, what we're used to daily. Um, so I say, I can't tell you how to take charge of your, your thoughts to see God's manifestation of the great things he has for you. However, manifestation became my life experience after accepting who and how I believe God created me. I discontinued seeing myself apart from God who lacks nothing, who is literally unacquainted, unacquainted with the idea of insufficiency. Wow. I stopped believing I was broken that my soul needed to be fixed, I began to consistently experience God's manifestation. When I stopped chasing and de or desiring to be like him, but accepting that I had never existed outside of the image and the likeness of God, manifestation became my reality. Manifesting wow. as God sees me yields the manifestation of all things good, all things God, and I do my best to avoid participating in anything contra contradictory to that place of existence. Wow. Wow. You know what's crazy? The people that are best at this, at manifesting, are the people that are in church. <laughs> I'm, I'm so serious. I think a lot about celebrities and people who Come will tell on. you people who will say, you know what, I, I wrote a check for a million dollars and put it in my wallet, like Jim Carrey, or people like Oprah who are like, you know what, I saw myself, um, I saw a vision of myself doing this thing or being this version of myself. And I started to believe that for myself. Mm -hmm. Those people are the best at manifesting because it, they don't see themselves lacking. They don't see themselves no. less than. They see a version of themselves that they want to be and they go, this is where I'm headed. And this is where I'm going to get. And when I get to this place, guess what? There's another version of myself that I see up ahead of the road. People that are best at that are people, most of the time, are people that are unchurched because they don't have this notion of that I am less than or not good enough or that I should not receive because of me just being. Right, right. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm over, you know, <laughs> I'm over needing God. And I'm more into being that, that likeness that is God. Um, I don't have, I don't have to, I don't have to need if I am, if I am, if I am what I say I need, if that makes right. sense. Right. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, and also being created in, if we're believing that we're created in God's likeness, then if you were like God, then why would you be lacking? How is it that, why is it that God would create you and then tell you that you are not good enough if you are created in his likeness? Right, right. Um, but, you know, it seems to me Christianity kept me from walking in that fully. Wow. Uh, and so in order to walk in that fully, I have to, there are songs I can't sing, you know, of the Christian faith. <laughs> I just, that's what I mean by not yep. participating in anything that, that is contradictory to, um, to that reality. Um, yep. are you, are you experiencing, uh, uh, diabetes? You know, perhaps yes. Is it how God sees you? So there are two, perhaps two different realities and you have to prioritize which reality. So which, which reality are you going to prioritize? How God sees me or the experience of diabetes? And so you start to press forward in the, re, in, in the reality of how God sees me. God sees me as whole. So I'm, that's going to be my confession every day. 
I'd like to challenge you even in this moment to stop owning diabetes. Stop saying it's mine and my diabetes and my, if, um, if I mean, if there's a receipt for it, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Get a refund. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm not saying that it's not, it's not an experience you're having, but yeah. I'm saying prioritize it less as something you own and start yeah. owning that you are, that you are whole, that is what you can own. And so I had to learn to try to see from a higher perspective where, how does God see me? If, if you die today, you are not dying a diabetic. Absolutely. You understand what I'm saying? So, yeah. so when, when, when it's all, when you have made that transition, that transition is your reality. It's your reality yeah. before you even go. Yeah. And I feel that too. I feel that because I will say that I think that it can all become a, a mental entrapment mm-hmm. because if you, if you prioritize that, then your mind is always around. I'm diabetic. My sugar is by numbers. Whereas more of it, if I look at it as maybe it's something that I'm managing, just like I manage my schedule, my schedule every day mm-hmm. that I don't think about, I just, I'm looking at it and going, Oh, I got to do this, whatever. And right. keep it pushing. Then that is not what my brain is focused on. That is not how I'm constantly seeing myself or mm-hmm. what I'm constantly thinking about. Yes. It's going to be something that you're at some point in time, you're, you're going to, you're going to talk about it. You're going to, it's going to come up because you're going to give yourself insulin, but it is not something that has controlled you. Right. That you're allowing to control you. And I, and I remember when I first got diagnosed that that was, that was the biggest thing weighing on me was that I kept being like, Oh my God, I'm going to die from this. Or, Oh my God, like, um, how am I going to, how am I going to manage my life or do all these other things when in reality, um, and it was honestly my doctor who said it, she was just like, just keep living. Like just, <laughs> she was literally like, just keep living. No one's telling you that you can't do anything. We're just telling you that like, make sure that you're okay to do the thing that you want to do before that you, you do, do it. Right, right. Yeah. And so I was, but yeah, I, you know what? I, I need to, I appreciate that. I receive that and accept that because I do need to think about that a little more and saying that <laughs> this is not, again, this is not my identity. Being diabetic mm-hmm. is not my identity. You know, when I am having the experience of a headache, especially if I've not, if I've not done anything to contribute to it. Um, often people around me will hear me say this headache doesn't belong to me. I, I, I wrote about being called a rebel. Yes. And that's a, that's a good section. Right. As you talk about, you know, thinking about um, thinking bad about myself because someone else thought I was bad about myself. It's called by definition. Um, yeah. <laughs> you got involved. <laughs> what what's the highlight? Um the highlight is um so it's on page 123. The highlight is the last section of it. You say in the book of Genesis, Moses writes that God asked Adam, who told you that you were naked? It seems the sentiment of this question was that of who told you that you were different from me? In my, uh, in my estimation, religion is a refusal to see our neighbor as ourselves. God asked the question of Adam, and I asked the same of us. Who told us we were different from each other? Uh, that sounds like a different entry, but it's the, it's, it is, like you said, it's, um, you said 123? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's my definition. I said by definition. I de- sorry. That, my bad. No, you didn't. I definitely. I think I have that one marked. That's why we have a table of contents. Okay. Yeah, page (laughs) 95. This is near and dear to my heart because I've been called a rebel. Without hesitation, I've been told, you are rebellious. I no longer surrender to the negative intent of such a label. I feared the word altogether negative and evil I was possessed with until I simply looked at the definition. The meaning of the word is a reminder that many of the freedoms enjoyed today are because someone was rebellious, a a rebel. Um, And then my PS, in recent years, I've come to believe it takes one who does not possess courage to label the courage of others as a spirit of rebellion. 
a spirit needing to be purged, in their opinion. Most often, those who lack courage admire the courageous. Rather than seeking to be audacious, it is easier to rebuke and cast out what is really the audacity of another. I am a rebel. Wow. I own it. We are able to exist and live in the freedoms and the luxuries that we have because someone at some point in time said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm no. not going to follow the norm. I'm going to go against the system. I'm not going to be, like you said earlier, less than or because you see me as less than. Right. Um, you know, for all these years, as much as they were calling me a rebel, they were being prophetic. <laughs> yeah. Thank thank you. Well, and also helping you to grow mm-hmm. into 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 a better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Into a more a I feel like a more woke version of yourself. Like I'm woke because I've experienced these things and also been able to reflect on them and say, you know what, I you're right. I am not that same, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not the I'm I'm not even the same person I was last year. Right. And I think a lot of people like have issues with that. I think a lot of it stems to the fact that we don't <laughs> we don't want to admit that we're aging or that we're growing. But even this week I've thought to myself, like the notion of um, of growing old, that's a gift. You're giving a gift of being able to grow old and to be able to see different versions of yourself, different yourself reflected in different stages of life. Yeah, I yeah, it's just it's crazy to me that people think otherwise. Like why like do you really think that you're the same person that you were in high school? It's like you're 40 years old, ma'am. Like <laughs> how can you be you cannot be the same person you were when you were 15? And to me, if you're evolving as a person, your beliefs should be evolving. Yes. But I could, you, hey. You talk about that in your, when you, the very first journal entry where you talk about just like yourself, um, when you talk about the wound. Mm-hmm, and that right. you, you obviously can't stay in your mother's womb because you <laughs> outgrow the womb. Uh, why does that same, yeah, why does that, there's not enough room. Why does that same principle does not apply to our belief? Right. That's good. That's good. I mean, why, you know, why do I have to, I was born a Christian. Do I have to die one too? right (laughs) you know what I mean yeah you know I say in the book Christianity is too small for me now it's not big enough it's not big enough for the expression of love I believe God created me to be oh let's see I wanted to read there's a few questions has done just that um one of the one of those experiences is never ending it is the experience of an un unchangeable completeness a completeness experience beyond the beginning and end of the bible the fullness i began to experience after the opening and closing of the book was something i don't recall reading of i'm sorry reading of course this kind of measureless abundance is written of and it is even promised but reading any personal experiences of this of this kind escapes me this reality of completeness doesn't seem to have a genesis This reality is void of an in the beginning. An introduction can't be found because it seems to have always been this place of completeness. There is no opening or close of it as I had opened and closed my Bible day Mm. after day. Mm. There is no end to it. Even as I read the last, read the last word, amen. This reality of completeness doesn't have an origin while the history of Christianity can be traced back to its start. This reality of completeness, unlike the Bible, has no inception. This experience, gifted to me by God, expands beyond the cover, the stitch, the ink, and pages of the two biblical testaments. How, how can God and my experience of him be restricted to a book having a beginning and end? How can God and my experience of him be restricted to the experiences of those who wrote as a result of their own? I refuse Mm. the notion of which I've heard for years. If it isn't in the Bible, it isn't God. There are so many scriptures to offer validating my uh, consistent experience of God, but simply put, if it must be written in the Bible for it to be God, 
It isn't God we read of in its books. Wow. That's good. I do. I remember, you know, spending time, you know, those, those months reading those two and a half months reading my Bible and, and the experiences I was having as I was reading or as I was committed to the time were eternal. Yeah. And when I closed the book, I continue to have this eternal experience. Yeah. This trans wow. transcendent experience. Yeah. So my, my, I, I don't, there was, you know, when I finished reading, I, a couple of things happened. One, one of the things was one of the experiences I had was hearing the voice of the Lord say to me, um, uh, now that you're ready, now that you've studied everyone else's experience, I'm ready to yeah. give your food. Yeah. And then, you know, and so, you know, to continue to go and read and read and read their experiences for the next however many decades I live, to me, it's, it's, to, to, it's to practice their experience. Right. But I don't want, where's mine? Right. So I have another entry in there called, called to my own. Where's yep. my, I want my experience. So you, you know, what you do, what you practice is what you become. 100%. So Sunday morning, you know, open your Bible. Wednesday night, open your Bible. Yeah. Monday night, open. And it's just Bible, you Bible, Bible. And so you, you talk are, about that as well. Yeah. So you continually practicing someone else's experience. Yeah. You, you talked about that a good bit as well. I think, I think that's one of, one of those continuing things throughout it as well. Like, just not questioning in a bad way, uh, more so examining and looking at the traditions of faith, like the mm -hmm. religious traditions of specifically the evangelical Christian faith of going, mm -hmm. we do communion, we do tithing, we, mm -hmm. we read our scripture, we sing these songs and these and different things like that. But it, it's more the things of like, we're doing these things because we feel that this is, this is how we practice our, our faith and how we practice our religion when really... Sometimes you should just go like, okay, yeah, that's great, but like, where has where's the new experience? Mm -hmm. Where is the God in this room? Right, right. Not not the God at the communion table in the Last <laughs> Supper, but where's the God in this room? Right. Where's where is where is it? Where is my experience? I just don't believe you know, um, you know that we can call God eternal and limitless and boundless and there not be an experience of God designated just for yeah. me. Since writing the book, what has been your biggest revelation? There have been so many revelations. Uh, since it's been published, I think one of the biggest things that I can see is that Christianity of which we know in the States, the Christianity that we have been given was not intended for, it was, it was, it was intended to continue to oppress anybody who was not white. Mm. And yet what the publishing of this book has revealed to me is that lots of black people want Christianity. The Christianity practiced today was created for anyone who was not white. It was created to oppress and, and, and feed, if you will, the sense of superiority of, the, of white people but that has been to me the one of the um, biggest observations, if you will, or revelations. It's like, wow, we we still want this. One, of, I could say that one of the hardest, one of the most difficult entries to write is called a need, a tree, a choice. Can mm -hmm. You go to that real quick. We can maybe end on that. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote this on October 30th, 2019, and in writing it, I cried. 
I laid on my chase in fetal position in tears um, because I did not understand why I hadn't heard anyone else ask these questions. Um, October 30, 2019, Christianity teaches that a lamb was slain and that lamb was Jesus, the lamb being symbolic of the character of Christ and his body sacrificed. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, John the Elder writes in the book of Revelation. The next block, Christianity teaches that God came from heaven in the form of Jesus, the lamb slain, to be ransom for what would be a sinful humanity. This equals God before the world was conceived, decided to come to earth as a man to redeem the humans he created because those created humans would eat from a forbidden tree created by him, God. Pause. God created man, set in place the possibility for failure so that he could in the future manifest as a savior, a hero, proceed. To believe Jesus was slain before the world's conception would be to believe God had the idea to create a world he would have to save. I have to believe God had a need and out of it, he created a crisis that would form in us a longing to be saved from said crisis. For as it is, a hero is only necessary in times of need. Did God have a need, one so great that he planned to come to the world as its savior before creating it? If the scripture read that Adam and Eve complied with the admonishment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God's predestined plan to come to the world as the lamb slain, according to John's revelation, would have been thwarted. How then would God be, have been glorified by mankind except he be a savior? How then could God be a savior except there be a need? How then could there be a need except there be a tree and a choice? And how could there be a tree and a choice except God created it? John, are you saying all of this was planned? Wow. What else is there to say? The, the hardest one to write. I remember calling a, a senior um, person in my life um, who was raised in the church, raised Pentecostal, um, raised Black, charismatic church. And I asked, am I crazy? Is this not what they taught us? Now, mind you, I have a degree in biblical studies, which I failed to mention in my introduction of myself. Um, it sits over here in this corner. Um, is this not what they taught us? And, you know, I was raised in a different kind of, uh, a different label of, of Pentecostalism or charismatic Black church called Church of God in Christ. She was mm -hmm. raised P-A-W. It's a branch off from the Church of God in Christ. So, you know, it, it, so we were raised in the same way. She's a senior, educated author, and I had to call somebody else. Y'all, didn't they teach us this? Yeah. Yes, yeah. this is what they taught us. Well, why has no one has asked this question? No one has asked or questioned why God would create a crisis to become the hero in the story. Wow. Because that's what that is saying. Yeah. To, to believe yeah. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, before the world was formed, is to believe God created a crisis to become a hero. Thank you everybody for joining today's episode. Thank you Chan for coming in and having this conversation with me. As always, please like and follow for more episodes. Please stay safe in these streets and God bless.